While skimming the internet, have you ever run into this fellow? When a man gets up at four in the morning to go carry garbage to earn a good wage, he ain't thinking, I'm going to do this so I can oppress that bitch. She's broke. He's doing it thinking so I can provide for my family so my woman can stay at home and raise my kids and have nice nails while I'm out here carrying trash. You go to a coal mine. Those dudes are not down there thinking about oppressing women. They're down there thinking about providing for women. Now, I'm not saying that there's not bad apples, but in general, us men are prepared to take on more bullshit to protect you than you would possibly believe. And in the, the modern world, they've spun that. Feminism spun that. Men make all the money. You women need more money because men make the money and men are in charge and men have the good jobs. Men are out here giving up their fucking life for you chicks. They're giving up their life for you. And and feminism prevents you respecting it. Maybe some interesting points. We're going to get some reactions kind of going around the room here. Starting out today, though, let me uh, go and introduce everyone. Hi, my name is Jonathan Fiala. uh, And uh, for further every day, we've got uh, a full house. Mr. Steve, sitting in the chair of theology, how are you, sir? Yes, sir, I sure am. I'm doing very well, John Arthur. Pleased to be here today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Dealing with the reason why we believe what we believe. And to his uh, left, we got Miss Nikki. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing all right. Sitting in the chair of uh, philosophy. Yes. Glad to have you there. And to her left, we got uh, the Chauncey. How's it going, sir? You're going to have to choke in a bit more, my my man. Get closer to that. Without his blue suede on, by the way. Without his blue suede on. Without my blue suede, I got my red red shoes for those so-called red pillars out there. Ah, There you go. There you go. Right on. We're going to get to some some expose in this, because I used to push for this stuff before I came to Christ. So stay tuned. Glad to have you there. And to his left, we got uh, the Yash in the chair of politics. How's it going, good sir? Doing good. You? Doing pretty good. Excited to get into it. All right. Let's get dangerous, as uh, the old 80s cartoon used to say. Uh, If you haven't watched Darkwing Duck, you're missing out. Uh, Just saying, okay, so let's talk about the Red Pill movement. Before we do, before we do, though, the Red Pill movement is something interesting. It's something of a 2010s phenomenon. And out of it, you've seen a sort of neo-masculinity in response to toxic masculinity. And... Before we get into the red pill movement itself, I think it's important that we kind of shotgun through what originally caused the red pill movement. What was the pushback? What is the red pill movement pushing back against? And in short, that's feminism. But really, it's not it's not just feminism. It's a lack of the church being the church. Let's let's be really clear. The church was not salt and light enough to provide a good distinction between the world and not. And so you had feminism throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And of course, some of y'all will in this, uh, uh, in this audience or rather in this, in this group will remember the old saying, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Bicycle. Y'all remember that? Mm Mm-hmm. So, Let's go ahead and talk about that. There are a couple of good things that came out of the second wave of feminism. I mean, Miss Nikki, you're, 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 you're the woman on the panel today. What were some of the good things that came out of the 1960s, 1970s women's lib movement? There are a couple of things that did work out well. I think it gave women more opportunity for um, the jobs or careers that they desired to have. I mean, uh, uh, there's nothing wrong with a woman who wants to be a lawyer or a doctor, and that was kind of frowned upon. 
I think that was kind of an an open door at that time for women to step into those roles. So, but like, and and that's a hundred percent correct. But like anything, you're sitting in the chair of philosophy today. Um, you know, G.K. Chesterton said it really well. He says, "One does not simply tear down a boundary without a wise man. Anyway, doesn't tear down a boundary without it first looking to see why was that boundary placed there in the first place." And there, there are some things about the traditional egal or uh, complementarianism that we lost with feminism. Well, one of the things that lost was the, um, in my opinion, is the importance of motherhood and the importance of there is a strong. Um, I'm not quite sure how to use the wording, but a woman's presence in the home with her children makes quite a difference in the lives of the child and the lives of the family. So did we lose some of that? I believe we did because now it, you know, I was a stay at home mom with my kids and it really was not, uh, nobody was clapping you on the back saying, well, good job. You are, you, you were uneducated. Uh, you were just, you know, just a housewife. Yeah. Just a housewife. So, Yes, it did. It did affect it. And, and so let's go ahead and, 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 and dig into some of that, because some interesting things happened in the 19, late 1960s, early 1970s, depending on which country in the West you were in. It was either 1969 and 1970, UK and U.S., respectively. I might have gotten the swipped, uh, swapped. But 1975 in Australia, you saw the advent of no-fault divorce. You saw the advent of no-fault divorce. And so this is interesting see in the in the 1960s to 2019 a really sharp precipitous incline in in divorces going up to the 1980s where you had a divorce rate newly divorced people 23 out of per thousand as opposed to nine per thousand uh when, when polled and and by the way that didn't decline until really not until the 2010s you saw something else happen. And it's not that divorces are happening less, it's that marriages are happening fewer. But to your point, and I think this is really important, um, I, Josh, I don't know if you want to get this story out of uh, Switzerland, if you have that ready. But Switzerland had a very interesting way that they deployed, and they opened up women's lib. They did it by canton or by state. And uh, uh, there's an article from The Guardian that we'll be quoting from today. Josh, I don't know if you have that ready to, to get, get those quotes. There's just three quotes out of there. You got it for me, sir? Mm -hmm. I got you. Thank you, sir. So here's the headline. Gains in women's rights have been made women happier. Why is that? In the article, they look at Swiss women's lib movement and the results from a staggered adoption of the modern ideals brought interesting results. Different parts of Switzerland voted very differently. Unsurprisingly, Canton, Swiss state, with a high proportion of votes in favor of the amendment, were, were recorded as having a small gender wage gap some years later. But strangely, working women in areas with strong traditional values, where most people had voted against equal pay, were happier than working women in liberal cantons. They conclude at the end of the article, declining happiness among women may seem depressing, but whoever claimed an expanded consciousness brings satisfaction. Okay, so some of that is is obviously commentary from the Guardian. I just want to get everyone's thoughts around that. What they're missing something very obvious because with 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 
also with more women being placed into opportunities, uh, you also had an increase in divorce. And those two things happen at the same time. There's a correlation and causation issue. What do you think the real issue is, starting with Mr. Steve? I would say more than likely promiscuity, probably. Divorce, with promiscuity. Divorce. Yeah. That's typically what has a lot to do with divorce. You know, typically the number one reason is promiscuity and, you know, with divorces. So, it's Nikki, you, you have said this often that there's, I think it's you who said this, but, but you certainly agree with it based on talking to you before. Divorce is hard. Marriage is hard. Choose your hard. Choose your hard. Um, and and it, when a woman, I'm going to say it this way. The more independent that you become, the less you have to rely on somebody else. Um, marriage is about teamwork. And if you get upset or you're angry and you have a wage that can take care of yourself, you don't have to put up with anything. And walk away. A man who's looking at you and says, hey, she's got a good job. She's got a good wage. I don't have to put up with this either. Whereas before, when a woman wasn't working, a man knew that he couldn't just run out. I mean, a, a respectable man. I can't run out on this woman, kids, because they have no way to provide for them. And a woman would say, I have nowhere to go. And so they, they stuck through it. Now, some of them stuck through and it was wonderful. And some of it wasn't wonderful. So there's also another component. And that's, that's absolutely nail on the head. But Chauncey, what did LBJ do in the States? And what did we see sweep across America, but also the West in general, as far as the welfare state. What was the main intention of welfare, the way it was strategically deployed? Well, Lyndon B. Johnson said, hey, uh, you don't need a daddy in the home when you got the daddy that's outside the home, which is the government. And so what he did was, you know, he basically just told the single ladies out there that, hey, you can still have a man, just have him as your boyfriend, but you still need to rely on Big Daddy. And once you rely on Big Daddy, you get all of your all of the checks that, that come from there, the welfare checks. You get your food stamps. You get everything. But once you get married, that gets cut off. And what happens is when that was introduced, you see more households becoming like this, and they split just like this. And that's what ran rapid in every single community was the factor of Big Daddy, which is the government, came through and replaced the real father out the household and took him out. First, it was God they took out. Then they took the father out. And once they replaced the father with the government, it just became what it is today. And now you see women today will have baby fathers rather than actually being with one man and staying with him, you know, to death does them apart. And it's not, oh, getting divorced because of sexual immorality. It, oh, it's because, oh, he ain't making enough or, you know, hypergamy. yeah, hypergamy. That's all it is. The government is a guaranteed check. Oh, absolutely. That's what, that's what it, it comes down to, a guaranteed check. Or child support. Absolutely. So I want to move over to Josh because this has some really interesting uh, ramifications in the political sphere. It don't. Don't misunderstand this. This was done very much intentionally. This was done on purpose. What 
happens when you replace the father or when you replace God with the government? Was this done out of some sort of benevolence, the, the, the charity, or was there a reason politically for it? Well, when you make the, when you make, when you put yourself in that position of authority and you overstep your bounds and people buy into it, you, you gain a voter block. Even if that was not, that might not have been your intention. I highly doubt it. It probably, it most certainly was their intention to gain a voter block, but that voter block stays on your, on your payroll for as long for life almost. And and, I mean, your payroll, practically what we've seen is they've stayed on the payroll for life. The same groups that benefited or that were subject to welfare back in those days are the same groups that are subject to welfare now in these days at the same percentages. And there's one party benefiting from it. And they're told that if they don't go against that, if they go against the grain, it's almost like a betrayal of the sorts. Correct. And, and, and actually you see that in the, in, in the culture that's generated. And so again, they're devaluing you as the human with that. And they want to destroy the nuclear family, the representation an accurate representation when it's one man, one woman brought together uh, uh, in virginity. And again, if, if, if you're not, not a virgin, that's okay. You can make a renewed commitment to that. You can, you can do the born again, virgin route and look, that's better. That's better than, than continuing. And there's, there's wonderful belief to be gotten there. So absolutely consider that, but they're devaluing the human structure. And so let's, let's go ahead and continue to look at some of these different, uh, uh, these different stats here. Cause as you continue to look, you'll see that in Britain, in the U.S., after the different reform acts, this one was in uh, Britain in uh, January 1st, 1971, you'll see a decrease in marriages and an increase in divorces. Because again, it's no longer worth it. It's no longer worth it. It's no longer a worthwhile institution if you can just opt out a snap of a finger. Why would a man do that? Why would a man do that when he could lose half of his wealth? And by the way, this is one of the things that we're going to talk about a little bit, the red pill movement, and we're, we're setting the table so you understand what the red pill movement is saying. The problem is, is that they look at the facts and they answer the facts with the world's answer. We want to always answer from a biblical perspective. We always, bless you, we want to always uh, move from the, from the biblical perspective. So we see the divorce rate increase from 1960 to 2019. Nine out of a thousand people were divorced in 1960. In 2019, it's 15. Now that's down from 23 out of a thousand in the 1980s, where it was rampant and high. By the way, uh, boomers, when you're complaining about this generation, understand that you inherited a pristine economy and a pristine family structure. And you want to complain about the new generation. I know some boomers, you know, the boomers in this room didn't do this. I understand that. But all these people who want to complain about millennials and Gen Z, who sent them to those schools, oh. who, who destroyed the, se- the, the, the Christian culture, with the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and Middle Eastern culture. It was as much the boomer generation as it is the millennials and Gen Z you are carrying out today. They're not without excuse. But, but uh, with the divorce, obviously you decrease see a decreased uh, increase in divorce you see a decrease in newly married people okay so again these are all points that the red pillars would bring out and chauncey what's something that that the red pill will movement will pull from this 
what's something that they'll sort of draw out from this? Well, what they'll point out of this is that the, the marriage rate is, is, is going, it's not even, they, they'll say, well, people are not trying to get married anymore. But the reason why they're not trying to get married anymore is because what you said earlier is that why would a man work all this? Why would he work this hard just to have all his wages and everything that he's worked for just pulled away from a woman that he just got with? And that's one of the, the, the biggest reasons why, like, I even ask these guys, what is your end goal? Because when you're out here teaching men and young boys out here on how to, you know, get this and get that, you know, get, you know, work out, uh, get you some money. And then once you get all that done, then you get a woman. You ever notice that it's all physical, but it's nothing spiritual. They don't tell you to go to church. They don't tell you right. to get into the word. They just tell you, oh, yeah, go after these physical, 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 physical. But that stuff does not bring no me whatsoever and then that's what it leads into these divorces please stop right scrolling here. if you or someone guys which Oops, sorry, by guys. the way there is a movement out there called the black pill movement and so what the black pill movement is is basically you have these men it's basically MGTOW MGTOW basically says men going their own way so technically speaking they're just not like they see women but that woman is like absolutely like it's this Nikki here they're gonna there. They're going to replace women with uh, either pornography, mm-hmm. with uh, homosexuality, or this stoic celibacy. Right. It, it, it'll be one of those three things. And there's no personal contact with women. How is that any different from a raging, screaming, blue-haired woman at a pro-abortion <laughs> rally? How is that any different? So just saying it's a very unattractive look and that's the men going their own way movement. That's part of the red pill movement. It's a branch of it. I I would say probably the most ugly branch of it. It's just pure bitterness. And so, but I mean, there is something to this, 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 this movement in the sense of you're forsaking godly morality, but just like feminism throughout godly morality and the patriarchal structure. You're throwing out godly morality and half the human race, which is evil. Then you see, so what is, what's the world's response to all this? They add cohabitation to the mix. And you see the 19, uh, 1940s, I believe, it's hard to read this graph from here. Uh, the 1940s, you will see that uh, 0.6% of marriages were cohabitation. After nineteen seventy. Uh, after 1970, 6, 6.5, and that increases at a skyrocketing rate until it gets all the way 69.6% of all marriages suffered from cohabitation premarital. Premarriage, you had 70% of women and men cohabitating. So, Josh, what's wrong with cohabitation from a biblical standpoint? I know you're teaching a uh, Bible study on uh marriage and godly courtship what happens with cohabitation when you don't adhere to cohab or to an idea that's opposite of cohabitation the biblical view of marriage then cohabitation is okay cohabitation when you think about it culturally if i ask you what do you think about these what do you think these two people who are living together who are saying they're dating what do you think they're doing I would almost be willing to bet you that everybody in the world would tell you those two people are having sex. Yeah. And that's what the world would say. That's not what Joshua David Gilbert would say. That's what the casual person would say. And it's a logical 
Conclusion. If two people are living together, why wouldn't they be having sex prior to marriage? It just, it just, it would seem like that would be what the reason is. And maybe, and they'll try to mask it with saying that it's financial, uh, it's financially uh, soluble and it, it makes sense. But it's, but the thing, it's practical. That's the big thing is they'll say it's practical. But the fact of the matter is it's not biblical. It might've been a Freudian slip, but you said soluble means that the marriage is, or the premarital cohabitation is something that can be dissolved. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the cohabitation, it's, it doesn't abstain, it doesn't uphold purity in it. And that's the whole idea behind the biblical view of marriage is that it maintains purity. The two couples would have never come together in a, in a premarital, in a cohabitative sense, pre premarriage in the betrothal process. Yes. You don't see that anywhere in the Jewish wedding you don't see it anywhere in Christ's reference to the Jewish wedding. He doesn't make an exception to it anywhere in the gospels or in Paul's letters or in James letters or Peter, or you could go anywhere. He doesn't make an exception for it. So when you think about all that, what's going to be our answer if we are cohabitating? Yeah. I think you have two choices. If you're cohabitating prior to marriage at this moment and you've heard the truth, you either continue to live in disobedience and cohabitate or you obey God and stop cohabitating because it's the right thing to do. Correct. And there, there's a real important piece of this puzzle here. If you're cohabitating, what does that signal to your partner? What does that tell your partner? You don't care about well, that you, this can be dissolved, right? Well, yeah. And then on top of that, too, it, it leads up to more arguments. And then it also leads up to more, um, how should I say, it's, it's, it's not interesting anymore because many people will find will, will will lose interest in being in relationships like that there's you know? almost it's like an animosity there right exactly <laughs> it's and, a try and before you, you buy know, i've seen i've seen videos and it was it was wild and i and I, I look at these videos and there was this one video one time where it was like a woman she was going i guess it was her and her friends that was going over to uh mexico somewhere you know they ak doing that thing and then she's on camera, you know, trying to flirt with this guy over there. And then the guy over there is like, yo, I'm married. So I'm not even going to do anything with you. And mind you, this woman's like, well, I don't care. I'm married, but I, I still want to do something with you. And that's where we've gone to. Because nine times of ten, back at home, she has lost interest in the man that mm-hmm. she's living with. And that's. And that's why cohabitation. You, you see that you were almost twice as likely to be divorced cohabitating by the way and you see that 60 to uh, 57 60 uh split on men versus women women are the ones who initiate divorce eight times out of ten okay uh 57 to 60 percent will make it if they did not co- or cohabitate but if they did not if they did cohabitate only 45 percent of women I think trying to say so. make it Mr. Steve, jump yeah, in. Yeah, and uh, with cohabitation, one of the other problems that you have is is there's you have no commitment to each other. Correct. Right. Okay, so there's not that commitment issue that you have when you're married. It is so easy to walk out the door in a cohabitation form because there is no responsibility, there is no commitment. You have 
There's there's no involvement in anything with either one in either way. Majority of the time when you cohabitate with someone, you don't even know that other person's family. Correct. Majority of the time. So you have no contact with that person or their family whatsoever. And that's a good point. And and most of the time when they uh cohabitate, they will it, it will be like like say for instance, like both of you met in Houston. And then you have no family members, let's say, like like in Conroe or go up 45, like maybe an hour or two. That is what they're open to, is that they'll try to isolate you. Some partners will isolate you from your from your own family members so your own family mm. members cannot oh, yeah. get in the car and rescue you. It's going to take them a while to rescue you. And then by the time something pops off, police is either at your door or an ambulance is already going to be at your door. So it, it's it's opening the the I'm going to put it this way. Satan has put his foot in and he's put his foot in the doorstep and he's slowly creeping in there just waiting for an argument to come through. And once that argument ensues, yeah, he's going to be there. But then once the violence happens, oh, he's fleeing. Man, he's fleeing from the scene. And that's exactly what it leads to. Yeah, Josh. And can I say how I, you can tell that Christians know that cohabitation is wrong? They will never talk about it in public. Oh, yeah, because it's shameful. I mean, it's wrong. There's a reason why. It's it's like what you said. It's it's wrong. Anything that you have to keep in... Listen, I, I'd say this to anybody, one of our listeners that is currently cohabitating. If you're currently cohabitating, tell somebody. Tell somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Because cause this is even with my own life. If there's a sin that I struggle with, I'm going to tell somebody. And that person, you know what that person's going to do? That person's going to hold me accountable. Accountability is huge. Accountability is huge. And so let's talk about, about part of holding, holding each other accountable. One of the things that we really have lost in the church, I mean, we say, yes, it's, it's good to be a virgin, this and that, but we don't tell people why. And that, that, that's part of what we're doing today. Why? And so let's look at what has happened to virginity in America. Okay. You're looking at pre-marital sex partners, virgins in the 1970s, 21% of women coming into marriage were virgins. Now, okay. we're not just talking about women. We're talking about men, too. I, but just this to be, stat, this know, stat is women. This right. stat is women. But, but as men, far as yes. marriage goes, uh, people going it into marriage, you know. It absolutely takes two. It absolutely right. takes two. But... What we're going through today right now is these stats, because these are the ones that the red pill movement's using. Correct. Okay? Correct. So 21% in the 1970s were virgins. As of 2010, you only see 5% of women coming into marriage are virgins. By the way, that is lower for men across the board. That whole standard is lower for men across the board. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to cut you, cut you down there, because you're right. We are talking about men. And that point absolutely has to be made. But the, right now, this stat, this is a study that you would find someone in the red pill movement quoting, talking about women. And one of the things that's really annoying about the red pill movement, it's really annoying. It's a, it's a what aboutism that comes out. Like a man's got to sow his wild oats, and, uh, but a woman has to be chased. I mean, that sounds like 1950s chauvinism, like reborn. And that's what you see being rebirthed in this because it's not backed and founded with Christ. So just take that, take that last, take the stat right here and just lower it 
for men across the board, because that is the case. And you look at the stats and you'll see that. Uh, but all of this to say, again, these are stats that they're going to use with the red pill movement. And this is why we're, we're talking about it, because really what you're seeing is a rebirth of chauvinism. And it's really bad. It's really bad. But they'll pull this out. This is actually from Vox, by the way, of all places. This is not a red pill website. This is a very leftist website, if you're familiar with Vox. Hey, you but you'll see that women's satisfaction since the 1970s has gone way down. Women were report, reportedly self-reporting as much happier in the early 1970s. Men's happiness shot above where it had been. And uh, both have slowly gone down. But women's happiness, as you see more women coming in to college jobs, college applications see the educated woman coming into play but also with that education comes a sacrifice of motherhood and that's that's really interesting because you'll see that the increase in the college educated woman in the last uh, couple of decades has skyrocketed in fact women are dominating stem jobs you know, there are some jobs that women just absolutely blow men out of the water on and good for mm -hmm. them. But happiness has not changed. And so my question is, is to, to Miss Nikki here. If someone's told that she can have a full family at 40 years of age, and then she finds out that she can't, can't just freeze your eggs. It turns out that that's a very low percentage chance of, 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 of living. We've talked about, about this before. Some women, how does that affect them when they find out that they can't actually have kids? Well, if, especially if you're waiting until you're 40, there's no way back. I mean, you can't, there's no way back. So you made a decision and it's not going to pan out for you and you can't do anything about it. And, and the decision was made on lies. In a lot of cases, it's this bill of goods that's been sold to women who would like to have kids. And they're told, no, 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 you can put it off. And so all of this is starting to form what the red pill movement would call the matrix. And it sucks women into this, and as well as men. There are women just as much stumping for this as men. And so, I, you know, there, there, there's, a, there's an interesting... Uh, bit of fact here. There's two more slides, and then, then let's actually dig in. I, I know this is a long intro. But for three of the people in this group do not know what the red pill movement is, but for Gen mm -hmm. Z and for the millennial, it's huge. For Gen Z and the millennial, it's huge. Here's a here's a poll from uh, the Family Life Center. For divorce, women with ten or more partners were the most likely to divorce. But this is only recently. It used to be that women would hold on to a man if they could. Three to nine partners, women with three to nine partners were less likely to divorce than women with a part, uh, than, than women with two partners, excuse me. And of course, women with zero to one partners were least likely to divorce. All of that to say, this hypergamistic worldview of I can latch on to this man, I can latch on to that man, and I can grow and I can build, which is something that's been taught through third wave feminism, not really second wave, but third wave feminism and fourth wave feminism. Uh, we're, we're, we're in the, yeah, Chauncey's like fourth wave. Think about, because we are in the fourth wave. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's even worse than before. That might sound good, but the end result is... Please stop scrolling if you or someone that you... Guys, I'm sorry. I am producing here from, from the front, and I'm having an issue there. I'm sorry. 
there was a there was video in the background. It's important to note what happens in the long term. This is me in the chair of uh, economics here. Senior poverty and divorce. People who are married account for about 10% of seniors below the poverty line. Everyone else are early divorced or gray divorced individuals. Women who divorce and don't remarry, 18.6% of them, 18.6% uh, of seniors below the poverty line are women who divorced early. 10.7 men. Women and men who divorced uh, late in life, 26.9% of uh, seniors in poverty are women who divorced late. It's 11.4 men. It's almost like there's a biblical reason, almost like there's a biblical reason, but also a, a grounding, grounded in earthly, real life reason to stick with the partner of your youth. Kind of interesting. It's usually the kids. They usually, that's why they divorce later is because when the kids are gone, there's no reason to stay. There's no relationship. And that's something that's really interesting. I, I, I'd like to hear the, the, the two married individuals in the room who've, who've been through more, more life than the non-marrieds in here. Um, what is important about building a relationship? How, why is it so important to build a relationship with your spouse when your kids are young? Why is it important to pour into them? Who is your first ministry? Well, for, for me, um, we were talking about my husband and I, I mean, it was very hard raising five kids and there's the money issues and, and, but when you fight through it and you fight through it together, when the kids are grown, you've established quite a relationship because he is a true partner, a true team member. And you have all this time and energy invested in life. You don't just walk away from that. If that's the way you approach it, if you are uh, fighting through, but you're fighting each other the whole way and you're just going to suck it up until the kids get older, by the time the kids are grown and all of you've done is fight with this person and disagreed with this person and not develop that team like relationship, you're done. There's nothing left to go on for. Correct. More or less agree there? Yeah, pretty much so, um, because it's all about developing what you're going to have after the kids move out. Because having your children young and raising them is a small portion or a small time in your relationship, mm -hmm. in your marriage. You may be married. I mean, we have some some people here in our in our church have been married seventy years. Yeah, seventy yeah. years. Yeah, and so and I mean, think of the length of time that the marriage is, and then the length of time that the children lived in their home. When so, you yeah, look at it, that's compared, I mean, yes, you're right. That's all. But that's a lot of time being in relationship with That's each the other. foundation of their marriage, though, is when the children are there. And that is the teamwork and the commitment. That's where that really comes in. Right. And when you know somebody's been committed to you through the time that you're raising your children, you have a tendency to be more committed to him. And that right there is the foundation of happiness and it is, is being in the church and growing in the Lord. And, and so that's something that you'll see. You'll see that 70% uh, uh, 
of women who attend church weekly in the 2000s are virgins. Or at least they are not with another partner. They're with one partner. So that's really interesting that you actually have a grounding rod, a tether to reality in the church. And I, I really want to avoid pragmatism. I don't ever want to get lost in the weeds of pragmatism because you can lose sight of the beauty of the relationship with Jesus Christ, God, the father and God, the spirit. You can really lose that if you get lost in pragmatism, but there is something there. There is some, there is a, there, there. God did not make dumb rules. He put marriage as a reflection of his relationship with you. And that is why it is so critical. And so a biblical marriage promotes happiness. So now that we've looked at the answer, we've looked at the problem, we've looked at the answer. Now let's explore the red pill movement because it is a wild rabbit hole and you can get lost in this. And uh, I'm not sure that it's worth getting lost in, but it is something that a lot of people do. So where does the red pill movement come from? Well, I meant to have this slide, but Cassie J was a rabid feminist who she, she was ready to come after men's rights activists and show them to be the horrible, hateful, uh, uh, fear-mongering men that they were and the sexists and bigots that they were. She did a, she did a uh, uh, movie called The Red Pill where she changed her mind in the middle of filming it. I think that's really interesting. I, I don't know how much you remember from that, that whole thing, Chauncey. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember uh, a bunch where, it, you know, she, when she started uh, doing her own research and started, you know, interviewing men and asking them questions as far as, you know, like what's really going on out here. And that's when, you know, her mind suddenly changed and it got to the point where it's like, wait, hold on. These men are actually, you know, being mistreated so badly. So let's switch the narrative and then let's point out the real retrospective of what's really going on here. So it's kind of interesting, but. Um, so what were they complaining about? The, the men's rights activists were complaining primarily about divorce, right? And yes. it, was, it was primarily how unfair the divorce system has treated men. Yes. Family court and system. It's gotten to the point where, you know, that no at fault uh, deal. No so, fault divorce. Yeah. Yeah. No fault divorce. And so when that was introduced by Australia, I think you said earlier, um, and, and in the States and in Britain. Yeah. yeah. And then it, it, it got itself into the States. It, it just allowed people to just, you know, get divorces for any sort of reason. And, and it was, it was at one point where you got a divorce because it had to be for something. But ever since the no fault rules came in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Steve, I'm going to need you to get ready a Bible verse in just a moment. It's in the show map, uh, Luke 11, 24 through 26. What Cassie J did was expose the fact that, yeah, uh, and, and there's some differences on, on the stories here between it's 90% of custodial, custodial cases go to the women, 10% go to the men is the claim. Uh, the fact checkers, whether or not you believe them in the studies that they use, 65, 35, it's still unfair. It's still an unfair ratio when you have unresponsible women getting the child, uh, psychotic women getting the child, and the man is actually a good enough father, and the and the and the mom's a crackhead, 
mm-hmm. and you'll see that. So there was this whole thing. Just hold that Bible verse for just a moment because we're, we're, we're going to come to the point. You see that uh, uh, 80% of divorces are initiated by women. And so that's all well and good. We need to fix that in our culture. But just like feminism, uh, the men's rights activist movement can fall prey to something. And Jesus said it really well in Luke 11, 24 through 26. If you can go ahead and get that. Certainly. Luke 11, 24 through 26. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter it and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So I want to ask Miss, Miss Nikki here. I want to get your opinion from the chair of philosophy. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a scriptural application out of this verse. And I think you think you see where I'm going. If you replace a problem made by man in the man-made world with a man-made solution instead of God's word, what ultimately happens? Another problem. Another problem. Another problem. And we've actually seen this happen with the red pill movement. So I, I, I'm, I'm, no one says this. I'm daring to say this. We are in the second wave of the red pill movement. Okay, and because everything has a half life of thirty seconds now, right? Red pill movement started in the two thousand tens. Everything has a half life of a of a nat, nat's uh, wingspan. You're now seeing the MGTOWs come out, and I was going to talk about them this part of the show, but basically you covered it. Men going their own way. There, there, there's an unforgiveness in the heart. And if you can get Genesis two uh, sixteen or sorry two eighteen for us, Mister Stephen, just a moment. I, I, I want to get that from you. But if men are, quote unquote, going their own way, what does that say about how we think about women? And well, what does that say about, about how we think about God? Sounds like there's a lot of anger. It, it, it's the same voice that women came out with against men. It's, let me just say this. Every movement is about my rights, and I need an oppressor because my rights are being uh, overlooked. So if there's a movement happening, the movement has an oppressor. The feminist movement had men were oppressing women. Now men are being oppressed by women. So there's a problem here, and I don't think there's any way to solve it in this worldly uh, reasoning. Absolutely. So what does the Bible tell us about women, Mr. Steve? Well, it says, Genesis 2:18. God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. So let me say this, and I I want to say this as nicely as possible. If you reject women that way, if you reject men, woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. If you reject that person, may I humbly suggest to you that you are not only rejecting God's order, but be careful as you're starting to reject the image of Christ in the church. You are starting to reject that. And that's where Satan wants you. It's where the enemy of your soul wants you. He wants you right there, angry, upset. 
bitter. And all too often you find in the world that the woman in the modern day, the modern woman, as the red pill movement will call her, the modern woman really would like to be the Proverbs 31 woman. But what she really ends up being is the Proverbs 9 woman. For those of you who don't remember, who is the Proverbs 9 woman? What does she look like? Oh, uh, that woman uh, is always looking for trouble. She's always trying to argue. Uh, it's better for you to live in the wilderness than to be in that same house. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that, that's basically the, the, the woman that they put up with today. And <laughs> but, sto- but stolen water is uh, sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Yeah. But little does he know that the dead are there. She dwells. That's the Proverbs 9 woman. Whereas the Proverbs 31 woman is the original woman who is, who if, if you want to look in the Bible for what God has for women, Proverbs 31, read that chapter and you will see that God is not sexist. God made man for one thing and woman for another. Sorry, was God sexist for not giving man a womb? I, you know, some ladies talk about how great it is that, that they're able to bear kids and they love the fact that they can bear kids. Was God sexist for not giving a man a womb? I'm sure you could twist your society into believing that. But the point is, is a man and a woman complete each other. Therefore, in that, in that picture, then those two people now together are complete. And that's what the problem is in our society is that we really need community to be happy. There's not a person who's all by themselves out in the wilderness that has no fellowship with somebody else that is completely happy they're not they're not satisfied they're just afraid of other people or they've been hurt but a man and a woman bring a completeness in a way that two women can't bring completeness to each other and two men cannot bring completeness to each other absolutely absolutely so that brings us to the neo-masculinity or the manoverse as it is so often called and if i could call a king and crown so coronate someone king of the manoverse it would certainly be Andrew Tate. And uh, the guy that you heard at the beginning of the show, if you're not familiar, if you are familiar, I'm sorry. It took us uh, a full 45 minutes to get here. I know. I'm sorry. But let's talk about Andrew Tate. Mm. Let's talk about him. Everything he said in that clip, I actually, for the most part, like, you know, I, I, you know, there's some stuff there that he said that's really accurate. Right. You have feminists going out and griping about men. It's like, wait, who paves your roads? Who, who washes and scrunches the, the, the inside of bathrooms? Usually men. Who's working your sewage? Usually men. Who's flying your planes? Usually men. I mean, yes, there are exceptions to that. But, and feminism wants to take away masculinity. That, that's absolutely true. But there's, there's something, if, especially for those of you who, who've never heard of him, there's something in his voice. There's something in his manner. You can tell there's a big problem with Andrew Tate little bit of discernment and you can see there's a big problem with him but what, what, what was something that really stuck out wrong and stroked you wrong about that clip one thing that got me was you know i've i've watched the stuff a lot of stuff about tate and know a lot of different things about him but the one thing that kind of got me when i was watching that was is how he talks about all of the BS we men put up with. Tell you what, out of all of the stuff and the videos I've watched, 
I don't think he puts up with BS from anybody. <laughs> no. And I don't think he can include himself in any we in anything on any he's of that. He's barely worked a day in his life. He's exactly. Been a, he's been a kickboxer. He's been a, uh, a reality TV star. Mm. He's been, and of course, he's been a pimp. And we're going to get exactly. to that. We're going to get to that. This man has done nothing in his life. But Josh, you're a thoughtful fella. I, I smell the smoke and the gears turning. I don't think there's anything wrong with being abrasive. It's it's just you have to be very discerning on when you're going to be abrasive. Yes. And this scenario, <clears throat> he didn't go about it in the with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. And he obviously doesn't have a biblical foundation for what he believes. It's more so based upon the disagreement with the current cultural norm. Almost like it's pure contrarianism. It is very much so in the pure contrarianism form. That's the biggest problem for me. It, it doesn't have the gentleness and, and kindness of Christ that is required for a conversation like that. So, but he does have something though. The, the abrasiveness, there is something there in that. There is a there there. I think Christians really have this view of masculinity. That's pretty, it, it's lackluster. Milk-toast. Okay, It is lackluster. Um, so like Jesus will... Oh my goodness. Well, I'm sorry. Well, That's one moment. Jesus will literally clear out a temple. He'll literally clear out a temple with a whip. That is not meek, buddy, gay Jesus that we see portrayed by the media. But he was also kind to women. He had a full cohort of ladies working with him, supporting him, being part of his ministry, being part of bringing people in uh, to be healed. So what's the difference? What, what, where, where does that balance lie? Because you see this, this neo-masculinity is, is being aggressive for aggressiveness. Aggressivenesses? These aggressivenesses sake. Being aggressive to be aggressive as opposed to having a firm stance because there's nothing underneath. So I think where that comes into play is, you know, I think these men in the in the red pill movement, because I used to be one of those uh, that promoted this stuff. And one of the things that I've always noticed was like there was no balance with those. So kind of like what you have there is you have the men that will sit there and be aggressive with you, man. Get in the gym, you know, pump the weights up and get your job and do this and do that. But then they would take that same aggression, that same aggression with a woman, and the same aggression with a woman, and they'll do the same thing with her. Man, you need to put on some respectful clothes. Stop being a harlot. You know all this, and it's and it's like there has to be some type of balance where you have to not only know how to address the men, but you also need to know how to address the women. And then usually nine times out of the ten. Most of their issues is coming from a place of hurt and pride and pride as well. But the pride comes from the men that's backing them, supporting them. But then you also have it to where that based on the past experiences that they went through, they'll take all that in, put all that in and come up with their own theology. Correct. And then they would just be super duper upset at just the woman and just go straight after the woman. And it- in Andrew Tate's case, it's it's very interesting because He's giving everybody to smoke. <laughs> you yeah. gotta see, he's just giving everybody to smoke. It doesn't matter. And that's one thing about him. 
and I think his uh, his anger is towards at at men and women. And he just doesn't know how to balance that. So the real thing about Andrew Tate that's interesting is mom divorced his dad and took them to Great Britain when they were little. I'm, I'm just going to throw that out there. If you want to be if you want to show someone's origin story of why they're angry at women. That's probably the, the foundation of it. But uh, there's there, there, there's more. And Mr. Steve, we, we got to get to the next point, but I want to. Yeah, and, and he talks in. about how great a person his dad is. His dad was Correct. great this, great Correct. that. But the thing is, is that he, he originally talks about how he's not a, uh, was not a, a dev- devout Muslim, mm-hmm. okay? And his history reports that uh, when he's living in Romania, while he's living there, he gave money to the Orthodox Lutheran Church. Well, just this past October of this year, he ended up becoming a devout Muslim. So he does have Muslim background. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine with that background that he has that some of this is leaching out towards the women and how Josh was referring to his Christian belief and this and being and treating women with Christian Christian belief, he's not going to do that. Well, and, he doesn't have that belief. It's interesting that you say that. I didn't know that he had recently converted to Islam. I, I was going to actually end the podcast and say, when you see the Antichrist, I'm not saying that Andrew Tate is, but I'm saying when you see the Antichrist, he will look and sound like Andrew Tate. I really why, believe why do you think that because he's charismatic, but he's also divisive. The thing is, is he's not going to say oh, I don't think so. he's not going to say the exact same things, but he's going to sound that way to us, to Christians. Antichrist will sound the way we perceive Andrew Tate. He will be abrasive like Andrew Tate to us, but to the world and to all the young men. And all the young women out there, mm-hmm. they are going to see this Antichrist and they're, you're going to see a similar reaction because you have hundreds of millions of followers. Great of Andrew Tate. Oh, yeah. And it's it's amazing. You're going to we're going to be on this side still. We're still going to be shaking our heads going. Oh, my gosh, you guys don't see that this guy's using you. He's going to sound like he has the knowledge. He's got the red pill, the, the Morpheus, the red pill or the blue pill. You could take the red pill. You can be aware of reality or you could take the blue pill and you can go back and still into the matrix. go into the lies <laughs> and go into the lies. That's what the Antichrist will sound like. I think you, I, I just kind of think that everybody's going to so in love with the Antichrist because of the smooth talk that he brings to the table. Charismatic. And that he's, it's going to be, I look at it more as the talk of the pandemic. If you really care about people, you'll do this. If you mm-hmm. you just don't care about, uh, you're not getting vaccinated because you don't care about society. You're being very selfish. Do you remember how they sounded at the World uh, World Economic uh, Forum? We were listening to the, or the World Governing Summit. Mm-hmm. We listened to it a little, little while ago. They are this far from being Andrew Tate. They sound that way now. 
But they're gonna they're gonna once they get to the place where they get over the hump, they're gonna sound like Tate. And that's uh, that's what it does say. You know, in the three and a half years, he comes off uh, the Antichrist will come out fiery because he knows his time is short. But he's introduced as a peacemaker. He'll sound smooth at first. He'll sound very very smooth. But and people will fall in love with him, and then they will once once they're committed, they'll follow him no matter what. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Says enough to, that that's true to suck you in, but once he sucked you in and so far, bam. Absolutely. Kind of like hooking you with a hook. So just for a recap, for those who didn't catch on to everything that we're saying, Tate's an interesting story. You, you want to link in the description below on a 45 minute documentary on this. It's really an interesting uh, uh, rags to riches story. And I, I actually have like a little bit, I have this much of admiration for him. I have this much. I'm like, yeah, you, you, you're an absolute butthole and you're going to hell if you don't change your, you know, if you don't change your tack with Jesus, you're going you're gonna to go right to hell. Mm-hmm. But I do admire the industriousness, industriousness of it. He's leveraged a lot, but he went from being a kickboxer to a TV show guy. Uh, he was on all these reality TV shows. He, uh, there was video of him beating his girlfriend. And yelling and screaming at her, yep. as you could imagine, based on that clip, yep. you can imagine him screaming at his girlfriend. And later on, there was more footage that came out. There was more of her saying, well, you didn't hit me hard enough, baby. I need you to hit me harder. So, okay. So, so th- there, there's that part of the story. So it's hard to know what to believe about all of the allegations of how abusive is he to his lovers. It doesn't matter. The fact is, is that he, at one point, admitted to he and his brother both had four girlfriends at the same time. And put them all in the same room. This is the tame one. At one point, he had seventy-five. What? Mm-hmm. All on web cameras. Are you trying to be like Solomon or something? No, 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 no. This dude. No, he, so he, he reminds me of like a of like a Bizarro Solomon. He's like a Bizarro Solomon. The guy goes and gets all of them on cameras doing lewd things, and he's messaging people on the other end. He's unplugged the girls' keyboards, and he and his guy friends, his brother, are typing away. Things that tickle the ear of the men on the other line. And he even made a how to start this business uh, online uh, course. And that's yes. how he's made all of his money is on My these name is online Andrew Tate, courses. And this is Masterclass. Is this, yes. And sales <laughs> that, that really is, bunches that, of them. That really is abuse. I mean, it, of, it is. Women who are being lied to. Lied to and made as pawns. And he's that's defrauding. what. Nasty. I mean, that's, that's the thing that. Feminists are, are looking at, but then again, a woman has a choice to say no. Yeah. And, 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 and that's a complex thing. We talked to, uh, uh, Dennis Mark from redeemed and grooming is very complex. It's hard to know. So th- 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 there's trafficking like you see on taken. And then there's trafficking, like how Andrew Tate does it, where he will groom a girl for six months or nine months, get her to fall in love with him. And then he'll use her. By the way, I'm, I'm just going to say, of all the horrible things to, to pimp out a girl, that is probably the least horrid. But also, oh my gosh, how vile, how sinister. Demoralizing. Yeah, it's just evil. So, any, any, any other thoughts before we start to go around the room and wrap up for the day? He's a scumbag. I will, I will say this, and maybe I'm, I'm saying it too soon, <laughs> but um, what I love about the biblical picture of marriage and the first time of marriage you know, you talk, it talks about when a man gets married, he's not to go into service. 
He's supposed to spend that one year at home and comfort his wife, which that means he's supposed to build that relationship with her. And I think it's a very masculine man who's going to be dedicating himself to the um, tenderness of his wife. I think that's a beautiful picture biblically. Yeah. And, and that's something that, that we've really lost is that you can have a strong man mm-hmm. who works one way with the men at work and at war, wherever he is, comes home and he's a, he has a tenderness and a love for his wife that he doesn't show other people. That's, that's special. Absolutely. Yeah, we've we've lost that big time, but it has a lot to do with today's culture as far as like TV shows, as far as music. I think music has played a big role. Oh, yeah. If you look into like Beyonce, uh, Cardi B, Taylor Swift, um, Selena Gomez and all these superstars, they're promoting this single lady go your own way which is fig tile, I call it, uh, or I should say wig tile, which is women going their own way. They're promoting this. Females going their own and way. Then, and then <laughs> and then you got the men over here with the rap, you know, they, they say all, all kinds of debauchery. Me and Josh, we could go <laughs> for days. You said wig tile. All I could think of was the song Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars. Oh, yeah. said, right? <laughs> Trash lyrics, banger beat. Yeah, but that but that's how they that's how Satan does cuz remember he was he was the angel of music and music went through him and what way to push a theology through the minds of people is through music. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, it's just me and the conviction I would never just would listen to secular music ever again because I used to be a ghostwriter in this industry and the stuff that they that these artists would be saying it's not that artist that believes that there's somebody behind that person that believes the same thing. Absolutely. So be careful who you're listening to, especially what you're watching. Be careful what you're looking at because you got some very demonic people in some high places that's telling these vessels what to do and how to do it. So, Josh, this is my rapping thoughts right here. Yeah. Okay. So my rapping thoughts on Andrew Tate and the Red Pill Movement. I'm not, not those rapping thoughts. Say anything wrong? No, <laughs> no, but... When you uplift a fallen creature to such a high place, you get Andrew Tate. You place his opinion in the place of absolute truth. And what ends up being the result is you have a fallen creature philosophy and it's not based upon it, it will fluctuate which is kind of hilarious because it's at, they claim it to be the bible what he'll say a lot of people but if he changes up what happens when he does something wrong like something that contradicts what he says obviously what he said wasn't right and it'll be a really earth shattering event when something like that happens to a guy like andrew tate I know it's the case for a lot of people with celebrities. You see a celebrity, you think, man, I love me, Kevin Spacey. He's a great actor. Oh, wait, he just molested children. Oh, you know, I really liked Harvey Weinstein's movies. Oh, wait, he's a rapist. Really liked, uh, I really liked this guy's music. R. Kelly? I really liked R. Kelly's music. Oh, wait, he's a pedophile. 
Same. So, I love Kanye West. Yeah. But he's an absolute. He is Andrew Tate. <laughs> a what? I mean, he's a big contrarian. He's like just directly contrarian, man. But but you see what I'm getting at here. The oh point being goodness. that you can't. That for the listeners, don't lift up these celebrities in the celebrity culture that we're in. The celebrity culture that we live in is cancerous, and it produces nothing but bad thoughts and bad ways of living. Because the said people that you're trying to uplift are fallen. They don't have a good sense of direction. Whereas the Bible, the thing you should be following, has that sense of direction for your life, and it will never change. Amen. It's already been written in stone. Amen. So when it comes to masculinity, just wrapping up here, again, we kind of played it loose with the chairs today just because of the day, but uh, wrapping up on masculinity, Andrew Tate is not the answer. It's Jesus Christ. And I know, I know that sounds really trite. I'm sorry, but guess what? It's true. If you have someone like Andrew Tate as your foremost role model, I humbly suggest to you that a man who continually defrauds the women that he says he loves and puts them out there. That's not a good person to emulate. How would you feel if that was your mother or your sister? Just something to think about. Whereas you can be masculine. You can be a manly man. And by the way, you can be a womanly woman and not involve yourself in the worldly debauchery out there men's rights activists MGTOW uh, Manoverse and by the way they're just trying to sell you crap it really is about selling you the Manosphere they're trying to sell you crap okay and and Uh they want to the reason they are rich people like Sneeko who's like Tate Tate Skinny Tate Light (laughs) uh, people like that they just see you as a dollar sign Jesus Christ died for you. And by the way, he treated women well, changed the world. And he would like to use you to change your part of the world as well. There is real satisfaction, real deliverance to be found in Jesus Christ. I know that might sound hokey to some of y'all, but you know what? The truth is hokey. So be it. It's the truth. And guess how much it costs it's free. It's free. It's free. You don't have to pay $50 a month for the Discord for Andrew Tate. <laughs> okay? I'm just saying, don't pay that. That's garbage. You can come and listen to this podcast for that's, free. That's if you're paying $50 to listen to Andrew Tate, Tate speak, you have bigger issues. Absolutely. It's trash. It's trash. to listening. With that said, if you like this podcast, like, comment, share, subscribe, all those good things. We love you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining with uh, over 15,000 downloads per month, uh, almost 20,000. We're, we're getting right. up there per month. We want to thank you all for being on here. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, the YouTube channel needs some love and uh, Rumble. Lots of love. You. We see you there. About almost 60 subscribers. We see you. Thank you for joining Ooh. us for the ride. Uh, with that said, the YouTube channel does need some love. If you're listening, it's feel that, free to listen over there. We do have overlays and slides. I'm sorry for those of you who are on audio who only heard us talk about the slides and saw Chauncey or heard Chauncey making noises and you couldn't tell what he was doing. Uh, but <laughs> with that said, we love y'all so much. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. See Bye-bye. you guys. Bye-bye. Okay. Real talk. If you're still here, we put you asleep or... You did, in fact, enjoy it. You are super listeners going around the room. 
What yeah. was your favorite bizarre Andrew Tate moment? If you had one, starting off with Mr. Steve. Oh, bizarre moment. Oh, man. When he talks about how he loves his women and he gives them this and he gives them that and he's got all these cars and makes all this great money and then turns around and puts them on all of these videos on TV or, or on online and then I'm and, and then you go, what are you talking about, dude? What are you, what are you doing? They're, they're or, are side. you like, what is this? Is this like the dark side? Are you like like Darth Vader or something? Man, what's the deal? Miss Nikki. I've never listened to him, so I can't say anything. All right. So I'll give you one that's fun. One of the most fun ones he ever did. He said, if I had an, and I had this clip prepped and it didn't, it didn't want to, didn't want to play, but he said, if um, if someone said, if I was married to you or if I was dating you, could I have an OnlyFans? For those of you who don't know what an OnlyFans is, that's a, a one-on-one chat video service where you're able to, you know, disrobe or do whatever. And uh, he goes, yeah, sure. I don't have a problem with OnlyFans. Just, you know, make sure if you're making $10,000 a month, I get eight. <laughs> <laughs> and the woman goes, why? Goes, well, that's my, that's my product you're showing. <laughs> How's that for sexism? Oh. It's it's, pretty, it's, pretty. it's all bizarre. That's all bizarre to me completely. <laughs> it's out there. All right, Chauncey. Well, my favorite moment was it was a guy. He's a infamous YouTuber. And uh, this guy, he was just like going through something. He's like, yo, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Do you have any solutions? And then Andrew Tate goes, well, you know one thing I could say about you? just a piece of crap and you just need to get your stuff together <laughs> i was like what there's no way he just said that but that's say that man has some mind of his own man yeah <laughs> yeah i don't i haven't listened to andrew tate but let, let me say since kanye west is andrew tate <laughs> I, I gotta tell you i gotta he's tell black, you he's the black andrew tate yeah he's the black andrew tate uh but since kanye west this is not my favorite moment it's obviously my least favorite yeah. moment but him saying I love Hitler on Twitter. That was wild. That was a on Alex Jones's uh, podcast. Well, I'm, I'm sure he just needs medication. I'm sure. Well, doesn't Andrew true. claim to be black? Isn't yeah. that what he claimed? I think he claimed to be black. Yes, he's half. He's half. He's half. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's half black. But that's the contrarian thing I was getting that we we're getting. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And and Kanye, I'm going to say something. Conservatives, please stop trying to defend Kanye. Stop. Kanye is not a ride or die for the conservative movement. I'm sorry. He's not going to stick with you and take the ship down on the conservative movement. We already watched that. Get your token out of here. Throw your token in the trash. Get get rid of the tokenism. Get rid of the stupid. If someone says something that stupid that I love Hitler, there's a lot of good things about Hitler. If someone says something that stupid, you need to distance yourself from him. You can have him on the show. You could have him on the show and you could talk to him, but make sure you confront him on it. I think he has some of uh, Alex Jones's water when he talk about the frost. <laughs> yeah, he I got some that. of that clip. <laughs> but by, by the way, Alex Jones, I think, is unfairly maligned. Mm-hmm. I, I think Alex Jones is, again, a shock jock, contrarian. Mm-hmm. But almost everything that he said is accurate. Yes. It, almost. I agree. Right, with with a few very notable exceptions, like Sandy Hook, like, yeah. like, like, like a bunch of the. Uh, uh, um, the lizard people are okay. Okay, dude. dude, dude there's dude, only dude. 
They're turning the lizard people gay. Like, I, dude, like, what? It's all the same to me. It's like, Alex Jones, please, please, for one thing, take a little bit of Valium before coming on the show. Take a little bit of Valium. Just kind of chill. Maybe some meditation. Maybe, hey, take you know what? A lot you know what? of Valium. Is Christian saying this? Oh, Maybe no. a little oh, bit of no. weed. I mean, just calm down, brother. Calm down. I think you're awesome. I think you, you know, like you've got like a well. You're intending to do good stuff, but you have toxified all the topics that you touched because of your absolutely insane antics. Uh, okay, love you. Uh, my all name is Alex Jones. All the love. And this is my master class. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so wildest Andrew Tate moment. That's a hard one to pull out. Um, you know, there was one where I actually really liked it. I, I really thought he says, he said, he says something, I'm going to end on a good note, something good he, he said. And I'm going to say, you could take this with you because this is biblical. He said, I don't care if I'm happy or not. I will get up in the morning and I'm happy or I'm not happy. I'm not depressed. I'm not any of these weird, you know, different stages of depression. I'm either happy or I'm not. I get out of bed and if I'm not happy, I still go to work. I still have to take care of the woman in my life. I still have to go and do all these things. I do not care if I'm not happy. I don't care if I'm depressed. I should behave the exact same way today as I did yesterday, even if I'm having a bad day. That's a good thing. That's a good thing to say. Yes, 2 mm-hmm. Corinthians right there. That's a good thing to say, 2 Corinthians. But remember, there's a better author of all wisdom, and it's not the Tate. It's not the it's not the top G. Right on. The Cobra Master. <laughs> I serve the Master Jesus. Hope you do too. Love you. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. See ya. I'm going to have to look at this Andrew Tate, though. Okay?